you all it's this is the longest I've been away actually for um, um, and it's going to two different continents two different kinds of weather um, I, I was first in uh, Stockholm uh, where I had a series of lectures um, uh, very near where the Nobel Peace Prizes are given so um, I went over to to walked over to the place where the Peace Prizes are handed out. There are two different places, one where the actual lecture is given and then another place where um, the, the peace, Nobel Peace Prizes are handed. And um, It's fascinating to see what's going on in Sweden. Um, the, the church is growing, especially the Pentecostal church is doing really well. Um, the Lutheran churches, of course, are empty. No one goes there. Um, um, the Roman Catholic Church is rather empty, but the Pentecostal churches and the independent churches are doing very, very well. There is a lot going on, a lot of good stuff going on. And, and um, thankfully, my lectures were very, very packed. Uh, it was based on, on the book, Mary's of the Bible, and uh, there were church leaders there and just thinking people that were there and it was nice to interact around the Bible and uh, and then I went over to um, to India I didn't know how to pack so I had a larger than usual suitcase one for winter and one for summer in India it was um, 49 degrees Celsius so that's over 120 degrees it was really hot right on the banks of these holy rivers where the Buddha preached and uh, Mahavira and all those people. Um, and it's, uh, it's, it's fascinating to see what God is doing because every day there were thousands and thousands of villagers that came. Um, um, in spite of the fact that the vice chancellor of the university was jailed by the local government because they told him, you can be the vice chancellor of a university, but don't preach. You, you, you do your education thing, and this is a very large institution. Um, it's got uh, about 15,000, between 15 and 20,000 students. Um, one of the best um, um, institutions of the sciences, especially agricultural sciences, um, and so the government jailed him because there is church service that's held on the university grounds and uh, thousands of villagers come and it's almost like going back to Acts chapter 2 where you have these villagers coming from, they take the trains and buses and they just camp there for, oh, four days and the um, the, the professors and the students cook for the villagers and they feed them for four days. They sleep there. They are just singing songs in their various languages and, and they pray for each other and healings go on and they pray for each other and demons are cast out. And it's, it's fascinating to see God do stuff that happened in Acts chapter 2. And so... 
I'm thankful for that experience and thankful for the, the courage that God has given this amazing man, R.B. Lau. Um, after being one month in the jail, and in the jail, he's giving the gospel to everybody, the jailers, the, the, the convicts who are, some of them are very awful convicts. So they didn't even give him any special status, even though he's the vice chancellor of a university. They just put him with all the, the, the regular convicts, um, murderers and all that. But that didn't stop um, this dear brother from talking to individuals and praying with them. And, and they would come to him and say, I'm going through this. My family is going through this. My kids are going through this. And he'll say, I'll... I'll pray for you. Come, let me pray for you. And, and then he called his lawyer and said, why is this person in jail? This person should not be here. So he asked his lawyer to work on those cases. And, and people came to know the Lord, including jailers. It's so fascinating. And he comes back out of the jail uh, on bail. And the very first thing he does is he goes to the prayer room, where, where it all started. It started... In, in, in the prayer room that's right next to his house, a group of professors would get together and pray every night. And that six professors became 12, which became 20. And now it is about 5,000 people there. It's fascinating what God can do um, through a select group of people who who want to come and just spend time seeking God's mind. So um, he spent time in prayer there where it all began and then goes outside and starts speaking to this whole group of people, 5,000 people on the banks of this holy river called Yamuna. Um, and they break out into cheers. They break out into cheers and... And they're saying, Jai Yeshu, Jai Yeshu, which means praise be to the name of Jesus. Regular villagers, no one cares for them. And yet they just broke out into cheers and shouting out the name of Jesus. And it's fascinating when you see God do stuff, isn't it? Uh, and I'm thankful for that opportunity. Thank you for Letting me go there, um, my students uh, in India came from places where there's a lot of amazing stuff happening in the state called Punjab. It was the place where no missionary wanted to go because it was supposed to be the dry ground. You don't go there. If you want to get killed, you go there. But my students came from the state called Punjab and Haryana and there's amazing revivals going on there. You know, people are seeing visions and they are praying for people and people are getting healed. And, and you say, well, why don't those kinds of things happen here? But, but the point is that God is doing his stuff and we need to just see that and enjoy that and, and spend time with these young people and say, thank God for these young people. Today, of course, is the recognition of, of the beginning of what is termed as the first Pentecost day for 
the new church. Um, it was birthed during a time when there was a lot of consternation, a lot of unknowns, a group of ragtag group of people who um, had experienced so much in their lives for the last 50 days or so. Um, their Lord, Jesus, told them that he is going to be captured. He is going to be taken away by the religious leaders of that time, the political leaders of that time, and handed over to the Romans, who were the governing authorities of that time. And he would be killed. He'd be crucified. But don't worry, he said, I'm going to rise on the third day. And he did rise from the third day when the women came and they said, He's not there. He's not there. And, and of course, Peter said, I, I'm not going to let them touch you, Lord. I'm going to die before I let them touch you. But T Peter also ran away, and all the other disciples ran away. And, and then he began appearing to them after his resurrection. He appeared to two of them. He appeared to 12 of them. He appeared to 500 of them. But he would appear over a period of time, and then on the 40th day, which was um, a, a couple of Sundays ago, we remembered that he ascended into heaven. And a voice from heaven said, you, you, you fools, why, why are you looking up? Why, why are you so dumb? Don't you know that he promised you stuff? The same Jesus that you see going up will come back in like manner, but you go and you be my witnesses in Judea, in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the world. And then they said, we don't know what's going to happen now. So you have a group of people that are beside themselves. This is new stuff. We read it in the Bible and we know because we've read these stories from the time we came to know the Lord. But these people didn't know all this. They were in a state of shock. They just didn't know what was going to happen. And so we dive into the book of Acts to find out what happened. Would you arise with me and read Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2. Oh, that's Acts chapter 2. It's not Acts chapter 1. Don't, don't read the top line there. That's lying to you. <laughs> when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came up from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, 
Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them speak in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have too much mouth. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit on those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Oh Lord, we thank you so much for the remembrance of this day, this day of Pentecost, and for the remembrance of what you are doing, O oh Lord, all over the world. As we remember this day of Pentecost, we know that this is a reality indeed all over the world. Your spirit is moving in a fresh way, O oh Lord, in Europe and in South America and Central America and in Korea and in China and India. Lord, thank you for the movement of your Holy Spirit. We pray, O oh Holy Spirit, that you would indeed move in our midst. As we go into the study of, of your word, and especially in the remembrance of the acts of the Holy Spirit during these days, meet us, O Lord, O Holy Spirit, descend upon us. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Well, I want to thank the, um, the Theological Resources team that did an amazing job. I want to listen to your sermons. Um, it's so crucial. I, I see a couple of people. His Martin's not here? Okay, he's at the back there. Martin, Vladimir, Brian, and, um, and the other Brian, and, and the other Brian. Is it? Are there more Brians than... <laughs> So, uh, different spellings also. Brainy Bryans. Um, thank you. Thank you for what you did. And um, it's so crucial for us to, to be... One of the things that I'm, I'm so thankful for is that 
we have at Redeemer Lives such a, such, such a treasure of people. Um, the worship team. Um, um, David is taking a little bit of a sabbatical during this month, and, and there is another group of people that is here to lead us in worship. And, and so we have so many people here that are so gifted. So thank you. Thank you for all you're doing. All you're doing. One of the beautiful things about the day of Pentecost is, I call it the, the time of the great equalizer, where there's a group of people who are unschooled. They didn't go to the great academies in Jerusalem. They didn't go to the great academies that were raised by the Romans or the Sadducees or the Pharisees. These were from that backward area called Galilee. And, and when they say, aren't these Galileans? Really, they were saying, no, these are hillbillies. But, but the great equalizing factor here is that these people were able to speak because of what happened on this day. And that's the beauty of the gospel. So Acts chapter 2 begins with these words. When the day of Pentecost came, when the day of Pentecost came, in some senses it seems to me that, 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 that it, it misses the point of, of the Greek there. Uh, I want to talk about the great movements of the Holy Spirit. How does it happen and how can, how can it happen here at Redeemer Life? And the first principle that emerges out of, out of this first verse here is that all great movements of the Holy Spirit begin with expectations of God's people, of God's people. The Greek word here, sumple rao, is, 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 is a word that describes a group of people that were consumed by the Pentecost. They were consumed by expectation of this thing called Pentecost. And it seems to me that unless you and I are consumed by expectations of God doing something among us, it's not going to happen. You know, we may have an intellectual realization that there's something called Pentecost, or we may have a theological realization that there's something called Pentecost, but unless you and I are consumed by Pentecost, we will not know Pentecost, as I saw among those villagers on the banks of those rivers. I mean, these are people that expected something. They got on trains and buses because they expected something, and it came from deep within. They were consumed by Pentecost. That's the first principle that emerges here, and I think English misses it when it says, it came. No, it wasn't just coming. It was something they were consumed by. And they said, God, 
You're going to do something. Why? Because they went to their synagogues. And as they went to their synagogues, they were reading about Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19, which is, which is this time when God had taken them out. They remembered the time when, when, when God revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush. And, and he said, I have seen the suffering of my people. I've heard their cries. I've come down to save them. And God took them out. And of course, they were pinned against that waters, right? And Pharaoh was following them. They were scared. They were, they were utterly in despair. And, and Moses said, God's going to do something among you. And God did something among them. They went through the, the waters of the Red Sea. And, and, and they were in the wilderness. Of course, they were grumbling, grumbling all the time. But then they came to this mountain called Mount Sinai where Moses had initially met God. And that's what they were reading before they came to this place. Acts chapter 19, which says this, On the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day they came to the desert of Sinai, after they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me and fully and keep my covenant then out of all the nations you'll be my segula my treasured possession although the whole earth is mine you will be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation that is your commission these are the words you have to speak to the Israelites so Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak the people all responded together, we will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer, this answer back to the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. Then Moses told the Lord what the people had said. On the morning of the third day, verse 16, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the the mountains and a loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed from it like the smoke from a furnace and the whole mountain trembled Violently, as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, this is the sound of the shofar, Moses spoke and the voice of God answered him. The Lord descended on the Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses went up. Do you see that? This was the foundation of their expectation. This same God who did stuff, 1,500 years before this period of time is able to do the same stuff today. 
That was the, the basis of, of, their, their, uh, of, of their expectation that the God who promised in past history made things happen is able to do that right then among them and is able to do that even today. And that's why we read the Bible. We read the Bible because we know that this God did stuff. Not merely stuff that he did for that period of time, for that group of people, because that group of people are strange, right? That is the pattern for us today as well. God does great things, great movements of Holy Spirit are always patterned around God's fulfillment of promises in past history. Not only that, but they read another passage also, because in, in those times they would read a passage from the Torah, then they would read, and uh, not really read, they would sing. They would sing, recite and sing passages from the Torah, then they would recite a passage from, from the prophets, which is called Haftarah, and then they'll sing psalms. That was the sermon, and, and during, on this particular day, they, 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 would have, they would have recited and sung Joel chapter 2, which is what Peter talked about in the sermon that we found in Acts chapter 2, which says, Blow the trumpet in Zion, sound the alarm on my holy hill, let all who live in the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. That was the expectation of the people, that the day of the Lord is coming. You know, one of the things that I'll be doing on, on Saturday is I'll, I'll be doing a theology of these 12 books called the Minor Prophets. Don't ask me why are they called Minor Prophets. You know, all because they are smaller books. People call them minor prophets. Come on. You know, these people that teach theology, I think they should be given a lesson. Well, there's nothing minor about them. These are expectations of the day of the Lord. And that's what it ends with. It goes all the way from Hosea. It goes through Joel. And every time it says, the day of the Lord is coming. The day of the Lord is coming. And so it was built on prophecies that are found in the Bible, that these people had an expectation. Historical things that God did, prophecies that are found in the Bible, they were consumed by the Pentecost because of the prophetic word of God. And so they were consumed by expectation. Lord, you're going to do something. I want to go into the third principle here. And that third principle is also found in Acts chapter 2 and verse 1, where it says something like, on the day of the Pentecost, when it had come, they were all together in one place. Now again, this misses the point, because it, it is not so much at one place. The word place is not even there in the Greek. It's they were in one at one. There was a sense of unity among them. They were consumed by expectations, but this consumption of the expectation of God doing something was also based on this one thing that's called oneness. They were in one at one. God, you're going to do something, and we are one about this. 
It's the same word that's used earlier where, where, where Jesus is praying. He says, Father, you and I are one. Let them also be one, just like you and I are one. Let them be one. There can be nothing like Acts chapter 2 that happened on the day of Pentecost unless you and I are one, at one, in the presence of God. And I've seen that in India. I've seen that in other parts of the world where, where, you, where people diminish. They, they become nothing so that they would be one in the presence of God. And God does stuff. God does stuff when they were at one, in one. And then it goes on to say, verse 2, suddenly, suddenly. You know, one of the things I like about the Bible is that things are not planned. Things just happen suddenly. We in our Western mind want to plan out stuff. We want to plan stuff so that we can keep control over stuff. Because we are just those kinds of people. We, we, want to, we want things within our grasp. And I want to quantify. I want to qualify and so on and so forth. But what you find in the Bible is that things happen suddenly. People become nothing. They become at one, and suddenly things happen. That's the beauty of the Bible. That's one of the differences between the life of, of the Holy Spirit and sciences. In sciences, you're able to come up with experiments because you can control those experiments. Life of the Holy Spirit is not so. You expect God to do stuff. And things happen suddenly. And you say, thank you, Lord. Because now I'm not in control. You're in control. Do things suddenly. It's okay. It's okay. It's out of my control. That's okay. Because that's God's work. All great movements of the Holy Spirit are signaled in the suddenness of God breaking through into history. Things happen suddenly. And then look at what happens. There's this sound like the blowing of a violent ruach, the Spirit coming from heaven and filling the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. It's, a, it's very similar to what happened in, in Isaiah chapter 6 where, where, where the Spirit of God had broken loose and, and Isaiah saw this amazing picture of the angelic beings with fiery serpents going and and praising God. So you have these, these, these tongues that came and rested upon all of them. And the, and the Spirit of God rests upon all flesh. That's what Joel chapter 2 says. It's, it's every individual. These are common individuals on whom God came and did amazing stuff. This is not the Pharisees. This is not the Sadducees. This is not the who is who. But it's the grand, grand equalization of people. 
one of the things that, that I learned in, in my travels is that, that God does stuff like this. He, he does it among people. He does it among people that are just common people without any discrimination. It's um, one of the persons that's influenced my, my, my life quite a bit is this woman by the name of Pandita Ramabai, and I've talked about her, where the Holy Spirit descended in the early 1900s. And, and of course, when the Holy Spirit descended, then these girls started going into villages and praying for people, and amazing things were happening. You would think that the church leaders would say, Hallelujah! These girls are doing amazing stuff. I want them to come into our churches and do big stuff. You, you, you would think that they would say, this is the work of God and we want this to happen throughout our churches. Is that what they did? No. I actually read letters written by church leaders. People that I held at this high opinion as the great thinkers of the Church of India, people like Narayan Vaman Tilak and others who came and said, stop this woman, stop this. Who are you to let this happen among us? And she would just look at them and listen to them and just keep doing what the Spirit of God was doing through her and through the girls. It came and rested among common people. And they started speaking in tongues. One of the things I've come to realize as I've gone through different places and talked to individuals is um, often people will tell me, do you know when did the Spirit of God break through in our midst? It broke through when they left. I said, who are the they that left? And they said, it's the missionaries who left. The missionaries came, they wanted to control stuff. When they left, for whatever reason, the Spirit of God broke through. And that's quite a dilemma, isn't it? It's quite a dilemma. But that's how the Spirit of God does work. It is not dependent on people like you and me. The Spirit of God is not dependent on my PhD, my training, my learning. I've got to come to realize that the Spirit of God does stuff that He alone can do. When I say, Lord, you come and you break through and you do your stuff among common people. Of course, one of the other things that happens is for the first time, you have the sense that it's Galileans, but you also get the sense that these people are speaking in different languages, different languages, and, and that's... I've worked at learning languages. It's hard work, right? Those of you who have learned Greek and Hebrew and Latin and Ugaritic and whatever languages we can talk about, Arabic, you know, it's hard work. But here's this group of people 
who just started speaking. Started speaking and speaking with perfect diction. I still speak English with an accent, at least that's what my students think. <laughs> you know, everyone speaks English with an accent, but try to speak Russian, try to speak Korean. These people spoke with perfect diction. People were able to understand. There's two things that are happening here. One is the validation of languages. They spoke in all these languages. Not just Hebrew. Not just Aramaic. They spoke all these languages and, and God's saying, I'm going to pour out my spirit so that my word can go out in all of these languages. And, and that's one of the beauties of biblical translation where you say, God who broke through in Acts chapter 2 seeks to break through today so that the language of God, the, the gospel of God would go out into all of these places. But of course these people were, were look at the reaction of, of the people. Verse 7, utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all of these people Galileans, aren't they hillbillies? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our language? In our language. In our language, verse 12, amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, saying, in Aramaic and in Greek, there's one word there. It's the word manna. Manna. What? What is this? Amazement, perplexity, Bewilderment is a part of a sign that God is doing something and all that people can do is say, Manna, what? What? And that question comes about later on also as we go into understanding this great outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Peter, of course, gets up and starts talking. Another principle that emerges, it seems to me, is, is this principle where, where you come to realize that it's people of God who've gone through the depth of despair, who encounter God and return to God and show people that this is not them but it's God's doing, who experience healing and say, Lord, you heal me and use me. So great movements of the Holy Spirit happen. They happen when, when people like Peter turn towards God. Let God heal them. Let the Holy Spirit heal them. And that destroys the, the depression, whatever they've gone through. And they break through out of that. That same Peter who, who said, I, I don't know him. The little girl comes to him and says, you speak in this strange accent. You are with him. And he says, no, I don't know him. 
And so three times he denies Jesus. That the same Peter who runs away is now standing there because Jesus heals him. And the Holy Spirit descends upon him. And he speaks. That's the beauty of the day of Pentecost, isn't it? When you and I come before God and enable God to use us just like he used Peter. And as he goes on, of course people hear. Lots and lots of people hear. Lots of people come to know the Lord. There's this huge revival. Hundreds and hundreds of people hear him. But not everyone. There will always be people who would be skeptical. And who would berate you. And who would make fun of you. And that's okay. That's okay. The message of Pentecost is a message that reaches people, many, many people. But there'll always be some who would berate you and come up against you. And so you find this great revival that goes on here. Another aspect that probably I should focus on here is that the message of the Holy Spirit that you find in Pentecost always returns back to this one thing. It's the message of Jesus. Where Peter says that you tried to get rid of him. You put him to death. But that same Jesus, that same Jesus, God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death. Because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Return back to the main aspect of the gospel, and that is Jesus himself. Then you find people baptized, 3,000 of them, hundreds of them, and they come together, devoted themselves to four things. Verse 42 says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. We're going to go into this whole series in the book of Acts. I think it's fascinating to see how the Spirit of God does His work. But as we go into it, I'm going to request that we pray that the Spirit of God would do His work among us. And that would mean also that we would urge God, Lord, we expect you to do something amazing among us. Would you pray with me? When the day of Pentecost came, they expected expected God to do amazing stuff. And suddenly God broke through.
a Holy Spirit. I bring before you my tired mind and I bring before you this whole congregation and pray, O oh Lord, that you would do an amazing stuff in our midst. During this summer, O oh Holy Spirit, break through. Take our minds and our bodies and our spirits and do a work here in Libertyville and Vernon Hills and the whole North Shore, O oh Lord. Do a work, the same kind of work that you did those 2,000 years ago the same kind of work that you're doing in, in Brazil and in Sweden and in India. Oh, Holy Spirit, do your work among us and use us like you used Peter on that day. Use us, oh Lord, for your glory. Oh, Holy Spirit.